Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with, let's, let's cross our fingers, I get this right, Roy Schwarzapel. Yes? It's, it's pretty, pretty good. Schwarzapel. Okay, I'm almost there. Okay. All right. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, Panatone is this magic, magic thing. Um, as a kid growing up, as an Italian-American, Panettone was coveted. It was given as holiday gifts. We all craved it, but man, was it never as good as Roy's. And now um, I feel fortunate enough to have visited Roy's facility. He has pushed the boundaries of what I think is one of the most storied and historical classic Italian pastries. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful piece of bread, right? I mean, you tell me, Roy, I mean, this would, this didn't happen overnight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think you were, uh, just hearing you say that lets me know that you were in a, a very small group of the American population that understood there was panettone that was not what we see for $7.99 at nameyourgrocerystore.com, whatever yeah. one you pick. Um, which is, you know, to be transparent, all I knew. And I always used to say, I don't understand how anyone eats this. I, you know, even before I was in food, like I would see it and every now and again, someone would have one and I would take a look and this is inedible. And I never understood how this was Italy's claim to fame. So I, you know, I had written it off entirely. I was, you know, this is, and, and mind you, it wasn't the price point because, I can admit today there are super cheap um, items you find in the bakery aisles of grocery stores and convenience stores, terrible for you, but you put it in your mouth and I have to admit it's pretty tasty. Right? Yeah, delicious is delicious, right? Delicious <laughs> is delicious. And if someone tells me otherwise, you're just lying. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't that it was $7.99. It was, this is objectively not good. They, right? I used to find them to be very dry. So uh, not really very crumbly. People don't know they're baked in June, July in Italy for you to consume probably for the next five Decembers because it's never going to go bad, right? So it's, engin it's, it's engineered that way, right? <laughs> and unfortunately for us in the US, this was our intro to what this product is. And I'd still say the majority of the population has no idea there's a different world of panettone. And it's interesting, even adults, like they don't correlate that it applies just like everything else, right? Like you can find endless, horrible hamburgers. Yeah. And you don't use that as your benchmark for what's a great burger you have in your mind, because we grew up here in the United States. Oh, I know where there's a good burger. This is not one of them. So we don't make this sweeping conclusion about things that we know, but somehow, and I was guilty of it, 
something from Italy, we were like, oh, they're just, it was panettone. I mean, panettone is just awful. Why would anyone eat this? Not thinking, oh, I wonder if there's a different category of this in Europe, in Italy. And so it was very late in my, uh, early in my adult life, late in my life where I was introduced and eyes just exploded. With we, we as kids would get it, right? It would be like a family gift or whatever. And it was so dry that we used to take it and make French toast out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Any way to make it taste good. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, because like you, it was very, like we, we, we just talked about, it, it was very crumbly, very dry. Um, and it just, it never really hit the mark. Right. Yeah. To, to be I, quite polite. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to be, but you know, cause it's like, I'm sure I'm offending some relative who sent yeah, it. Sure, to sure. Me. And you know, it's really funny because I sent one of your panettones to my mom. Right. And she's like, I said, mom, you got to try this. I was like, remember what we had. And she was like, if it's what we had, I don't want it. <laughs> and I sent her you. And she sent me this, she's like, it's half gone. It's been in the house for 15 minutes. So it's like, you, you, it, that was like so fun for me to see her just get super excited. Right. Um, you know, texture, the flavor, the consistency, the, the crumb, everything about it. And I think I want, I would love it if you could describe and, and talk a little bit about the process and to how you got to start this company, because it's, this is a really particularly specific product. You're making one product, and I love this about you. We've talked about this. It's a very um, Japanese old world mentality of focusing on one product and making it amazing, right? right? And it's creating this amazingness of panettone. You may vary some ingredients inside, sure, but it's sure. still the panettone, right? Mm -hmm. It's like when you go to Japan and there's one guy who makes miso only and he makes five types of miso, but it's generation after generation making these misos. And I love that. But I want you to kind of give the intro of like where you started to where you are now. Because this sure. is, we talked about that. This is not an overnight process. This is taking you a long time. Um, I could make a very strong argument. Um, and, you know, I think the intention here is that, you know, for the, for the younger generation that's, that's upon us, I, I hope they, they take something from it, internalize it, think about it, that where this is at today began in my childhood, um, where the idea of possibly being a chef or owning a company related to food was about as far from my mind as being an orchestra conductor could be. Well, why I say it began in my childhood because my habits began in my childhood and they began to be cultivated from childhood. You know, when I was two and a half, you know, my parents put me in gymnastics and it was my obsession from two and a half to say nine. Um, I was very, very competitive as a nine-year-old. Like I was competing against 13-year-olds, right? And had dreams of like being in the Olympics. And then the coach I'd had for so long left and I couldn't really recover from that as a kid. And I would try to other coaches and it was like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And at that you know, same juncture in my life, basketball stole my heart. And basically from age nine 
until I guess 22, 23, where I played a couple years overseas professionally. I played division one in college, but for that, you know, 14 year span, it was all consuming all the time, obsession. There was, if I was not in school and not asleep, it is what I was doing. But the, the thing to point out here when I say habits is this wasn't something that I felt was a chore. It was my greatest happiness, joy to dedicate every waking moment of my life to attempt to become masterful at something. For me, the idea of, and every blue moon I would do it, the idea of going to a party or when I would see my friends as a teenager, like playing video games, I, I just, nothing connected that. I, I didn't understand how this is how you wanna spend your time, right? I get that in moments, I guess it can be fun, but I don't know, my circuitry is not wired that way, right? I, I, every party I went to the whole time, I'm like, man, I wish I was in the gym right now getting shots up or man, hope the alarm goes off at four because I got to go run, right? Like I couldn't wait to leave. Um, I just, it, my brain was just centered that way. Now it's predicated on the fact that I fell in love with something. It was a deep, deep love for something. And I knew one thing all the time. I was certainly not the most athletic guy on the court. I wasn't the quickest. I wasn't the fastest. I knew one thing for sure. It was unequivocal. There was no doubt in my mind. I don't care what gym I walked into. There was no one in this building that outworked me. It was impossible. The, the math let me know it was impossible because I know there's only 24 hours in a day. And I know that everyone else is doing at some point other things I was not. And, you know, I had the, the dream, the goal of, you know, making it to the league. And, you know, it's interesting. It was the toughest lesson I learned that just because you work the hardest, just because you're the most disciplined, just because you've convinced yourself that you're making all the right decisions, you know what it guarantees? Nothing zero. Now, what I will say is that if you aren't doing those things, that also guarantees something. You will absolutely not make it. 100% not make it. There's no chance at all, zero. You shouldn't even start if you're not going to dial in. Um, and also, you know, it, it was kind of my first point in adult life to be introduced to I just lost your eye. There we go. Yeah, I was saying it was it was also the the giving up, uh, not giving up, but deciding to hang up the shoes from the basketball journey and kind of reflecting was the first time I was introduced to this notion of being self-aware. Right. Which was That's a really powerful moment. Being self-aware. I mean, one of the things that people say is that um, sports and culinarians is very selfish. It can be because it's an all-encompassing thing. You, you're either all in or you're not. You're either all in or you're not. And I think, um, you know, it requires dedication, hard work, and a commitment to grow in both inside here and physically. 
right? Yeah, and be, you know, being, able to, being able to look at yourself in the mirror and with a straight face say, wow, I really shat the bed here. I did this, this, and like, you know, technically off the charts, skill set, all of it, hard work, interpersonally, my interpersonal skills, coaches, teammates, was so lacking. And by lacking, I don't mean incapable. I mean a lack of understanding. Just zero understanding of the importance of developing interpersonal skills with other humans, right? Particularly in the workplace, right? Like you might be right on all fronts. I got news for you. No one gives a shit, particularly the people that are in charge. <laughs> Worse, the only time people care is when you're in charge. <laughs> Until you're in charge, let me tell you how much people care that you're right. Zero. <laughs> in fact, I could argue that if you give any indication that you think you're right, it's not at zero. You're officially in negative territory, my friend. Um, and that's, you don't have to like that that's the way it works. And no one cares that you don't like it, but that is the way it works. And I had zero understanding of that. I mean, none. And so here I was with blinders on, like, I don't understand. I, I know that I am the best player on this team. Why is the coach <laughs> treating me this way? Right. And that was why right there. That was, that was why. That moment. <laughs> that, Jesus. that right there. I know it. And it's, it's tough. It's, it's so hard. It's, it's a growing point in everybody, right? Learning to check your ego, check yourself, and then be what you should be, which is about, I mean, in our industry, it's about the guest, right? It's about the sure. customer, the guest, making somebody smile. We're giving taste memories. Exactly. Right. And once you stop, put, take this ego and go, all right, hang on. You're going over here, ego. And we're going to worry about how to make everybody happy. Right. That's the ultimate thing. It's like, yeah, you can have your ego dish or you can do your ego thing. But what it ultimately boils down to is if they don't return, that guest doesn't come back to buy a new, a new flavor of panettone or, you know, come back. You're going to go out of business. Right. And it's that's that I think is the biggest moment of failure is the ego that gets away. Ego. I mean, not just in uh, in professional life, you know, I can apply it to and anyone that says they haven't danced with this ever in their life is, again, probably lying. Personal matters, relationships, both romantic ones and platonic ones. Right. The the delicate dance here is how do we navigate paying attention to our own you know, ego, whether extreme, somewhere in the middle or very low, it's there for all of us. Why? Because we're human, right? We all like to feel good about ourselves. We all like to feel like we're loved and cared for and paid attention to, right? But when you deal with another human, you have to remember they're also feeling the same thing, right? So it's a very delicate dance that does not just apply to, you know, the professional world, but it can be very heightened in the professional world because, you know, certainly when you begin, these people are not, you know, lifelong friends, um, at least in the beginning, you're probably not dating any of them, but that might end very soon, right? Uh, 
It's happened a couple times in kitchens, just like once or twice. I don't know. Just, uh, just like once couple, or twice. A couple times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you're young, um, you know, the likelihood that you're aware of all this is so slim. Not impossible, but slim. And for me, it was a really um, rude awakening because the decision to hang up the shoes, luckily, I had already fallen in love with this other craft along the way. He still wasn't thinking that I was going to do this professionally, but then I quickly realized about myself, oh, after I took the LSAT and was starting to apply to law schools, because, you know, that's what every good Jewish boy does when they don't know what they're going to do for a living. Um, it's either that or you're taking the MCAT. Um, and then I was like, wait a minute. I can't stand this stuff. And I realized, oh, I'm one of those people that if I don't love this, I'm going to be awful. Like I can't, if I'm not in love, you don't want me anywhere near your team. I am that guy and take it for what it's worth. I'm not one of those people like that, man, he killed this and he really hates this. No, no. If I really hate this, you're going to fire me. <laughs> Trillion percent. I mean, that, that, that is a really powerful thing that you're saying there, because I think part of being successful at what you do, you do have to truly love the business, right? The journey is so, so hard. But it's so much more fun when you love it. Well, it, it, it's not only is it fun, but the ability to endure is not negotiable. It's just not, right? Very early on. And, and I'm happy that when I decided I was gonna get into the field professionally, that I was starting at zero, at zero. And the likelihood that everyone I'm gonna be around is better than me was exactly what I needed. Because first of all, it was humbling to realize, oh, this isn't the basketball court, right? You're, you're not the best player in the gym. In fact, you're at the bottom of the totem pole. Now, you know, nurture nature, I don't know what it is, for me, this is the 93 fuel at the gas station. For me, I know some people may not be wired that way, but you know, first day, CIA, zero experience. I made a deal with myself. I was gonna be unbreakable. I am gonna get here, wherever here was, but there was a plan, there was a direction, I knew what I wanted to achieve. And I knew that this is probably at least a decade long journey, if I'm lucky. And by lucky, I mean, if things go really well, I don't really believe in luck, but if things go really well, it's a decade long journey. Let's go. And it's gonna be hard and I'm gonna feel terrible sometimes. And I'm going to be like, man, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. All that is true. It's all oh, true. Yeah, we've all been there. And I, if someone I, tells I, you they haven't been there, they're lying. They're totally lying. They're totally lying. And it was, it was all that and then some. And it's still, it's still happening. It's just I'm in a different part of the journey, right? It's a slow drip. Every now and again, you'll get a spurt of a, of a, puddle of water and then it goes back to a slow drip sometimes the water turns off 
right? And you think it's never coming back. That's that's when you have the panic attacks. Yeah. That's when that's when you know you you get introduced to the idea that you know you you might have some mental health struggles you got to deal with, right? And and you got to tackle that too. Um, you know, only until very recently, um, I've been I don't know about open, but I will say you know in public settings like this that I've struggled with depression my entire adult life, right? Yeah. Um, it is not something that just disappears. It can be dormant um, for a year, three years, three months, 30 days, who the hell knows, but it's there. Um, I work equally hard at staying on top of it as I do cultivating my craft, um, being a father, um, all, of, all of that. It is in that same category of my hard work um, because I had some very, very dark, painful times in my life um, that can make the journey all the more difficult than it already is, right? I think that's a really, really important part because, you know, to understand that there are those dark moments and when the, you know, when that moment arises, how to address it, you know? And I, and I like to say the measure of our success is how we learn to deal with problems. You couldn't have said it better myself. And you know, whether it be a mental health moment, whether it be breaking down of equipment, product doesn't show up on time. It's how you address it at that moment and how you move forward from that sets the example for not only your team, but for the future of the way you run your business and the way you run your life. And number one, addressing your mental health, which as you know, I've talked about it openly. I, I was at crazy school yesterday morning. I take my crazy pills. And I'm comfortable with saying it like that because it makes, I think takes a little bit of the stress off folks when they say it that way. Um, it has allowed me to address it. You and I have spoken about it privately. It takes some of the burden off. And I think knowing that going into, the, going into this industry every day, having and knowing that and how to, to navigate with it is a winning, is, a, is, is some success, yeah. right? And then you just keep, you build those, like when you set that 10 year goal, did you have micro goals in there that you had? Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember the, the, How the powerful first. How was that? Crazy. I remember um, right around graduation time. Uh, you know, I was with my group, and everyone's like, "Oh, we're gonna miss you. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?" And I'm like, "Oh, um, I am gonna go work for Thomas Keller, Ferran Adria, and Pierre May." Now you can imagine the consensus reaction amongst these about to be graduates they're all like this fuck you no no way. i mean just <laughs> like i had like i was dave Chappelle on stage <laughs> no but i i didn't understand what all the laughter was about and i'm like you didn't I don't make it why are you, what's so funny about that like you really think you're gonna work i was like no i don't think i'm gonna work i am going to work for them and they were like well how are you gonna do that i'm like because i'm not gonna stop until they let me in. I can't tell you when, but it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, before I started my own business, the last human I worked for was Thomas. Um, and so the trifecta was completed. See, so kind, of, kind of a told you so moment. But it's, it's also, you set your mind to it. And right. those micro goals to obtain the 10 year goal, because that also, for a lot of folks out there that don't know this, if you do have 
some mental health issues, micro goals help manage that mental health beyond. So such simple things. And, you know, I owe this to a, a very good friend of mine. His name is Jack Thompson. He's known as Jack, the ultra cyclist during the pandemic, I was coming unglued and he taught me about micro goals. I had never done those. Yeah. Um, it was a game changer. You know, I wish I'd set myself micro goals when I started cooking. I, instead, I had the like, I want to be here at this point at this time. Unattainable, unrealistic. Micro goals make so much more sense. So you want to work for this person. You want to work in this station. You want to train to get to the next station. Those right. are micro goals. And I think they are powerful, right? Like give an example of the micro goals you set for years or like a year here. And So I remember, you know, once I had you know, the, the fog had cleared on specifically which direction I wanted to go in food because at, at CIA, I, I did both savory and pastry. I loved both, but um, I think post my externship, I'd realized that the, the feel, the energy, the pace, uh, the exactness of pastry bread world was much more my personality type, right? Um, versus, you know, a la minute cooking on the line which is a different beast altogether, right? That's a, that's a different kind of animal. And, you know, you and I know this, but, you know, people that become great line cooks, it is amazing. I mean, they are- I love it. Beasts. And, and most people, you know, cause if you haven't been there, you haven't been there. Don't understand that the, the micro turbulence by the minute during a service, and the room for recovery is so small because the, the show is starting every minute, all the time. Whereas, for example, in what I do, if we have a crap bake, yes, it sucks. It's not fun. You know what? I can come back tomorrow morning and I can do it all over again. And the only loss is my emotional drainage and cost of ingredients in what I have to throw away. But it's not an in the minute, like this is the ship's coming down. And during service, and I don't say it figuratively, it is that perpetual feeling. Yeah. Because somebody was talking about it the other day. I read this really great book about sports and the flow state. And um, I think it's called Superman Sports. Um, it's true. The flow state happens with the line cook. Everything almost, everything around you, and it's amazing when it happens, shuts off. Everything around you, the noise goes away. And a lot of people may not know it as the flow state. They know it as, I'm in the zone. Right. Right? Yeah, for sure. They get in that zone and they just go. Whereas, and they can make micro adjustments on dishes. On the fly. On the fly. When they're working in your environment, it's very precise. It's very, I always like to say recipes are guidelines unless you're baking, right? That's right. Because I can't, if I miss those ingredients, if they're off, the bake's going to be off. The crumb's going to be wrong. It's going to be salty. It's going to be too sweet or it's not going to prove properly. It's very, very specific science. And I think I don't have the brain for that as right. much as I love it. Sure, sure. I trust me, I love tinkering with pizza dough like nobody's business. I love doing all these things, but I know that that's really not my strong suit. Could I dig myself in? Of course I can. Everybody can dig themselves into something and really master or hone that. Uh, but it would take me years. And I think 
the, the route that you've gone is so specific. It's so detail orientated that you, there's the, there's a certain type of mindset for it. And I think it's knowing that like you chose you, you, you did both and you go, oh, I'm going right. I'm not going left. And I love to cook. I love to cook for friends. Uh, my greatest joy is cooking for my family. Like I love all of it. Um, I remember when I, you know, and I spent time in restaurants, line, and it's interesting. It wasn't, I didn't hate it, but in terms of where it fit into what I want to accomplish and my long-term vision, it just didn't have a place. Um, it was critical for my foundation, critical for my foundation, because when you work in a restaurant setting, particularly at the level of restaurants that I worked at. Um, at the end of the day, right, we make, I don't care what vessel it is, panettone, charcuterie, uh, a sandwich shop, you are producing food that you want people to consume. And ideally, you want them to say, wow, that is delicious. Now, the world of delicious is connected to flavor profiles and the ability to maximize raw ingredients, take them to their end state. Do they marry together well? Does it need acid? Does it need more fat? Is there too much acid? Is there too much, right? And I think absolutely the best place to train yourself to be aware of flavors, profiles, what works, what doesn't work, is to spend time in kitchens, high-end kitchens that, you know, the, the work that goes into, I tell people this all the time, they can't wrap their heads around it. The work that goes into a dish finally getting on the menu at these level of restaurants, if people knew, they'd be blown away. They think like, oh yeah, someone comes in, like, oh, let's do this, this is, okay, cool. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's not the way it works. Um, you know, the, the amount of trial and error and taste and retaste and adjustment. And, you know, you go in at zero and very slowly, you begin, ah, oh, right, I do think it needs more acid. For three months, I didn't understand what people meant by that until I started tasting things, you know, super fatty dish, no acid, super fatty dish, just the right amount. It's a totally different dish, <laughs> right? Now going into it, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? Um, and then when you get into the real nuances of but which acid, is it a combination of acids, right? Just as an example, right? And so for me to get to a point where I'm launching a business about one singular product. All of these things had to happen. And mind you, when I was doing all of these things, the idea of Panettone was just so far away from me. So just to say, you never know where you'll be at the end of the race. By the way, I say end of the race, not that there's some ending, there is no ending, right? But I say it figuratively, right? It's, it's an infinite run, but you don't know where you'll be in the next 20K. You think you know, but you don't know. And so I, I think today to evoke this practice of, you know, yes, you want to have this, this macro vision for yourself and a plan. And you want to approach that kind of slowly, I would say, right? Be very flexible in it because it's going to, I don't care who you are, it will change. Oh, the waves always, I, I like to say it's like riding a wave, right? The wave changes as it's cresting and it just keeps on changing as it keeps going. Of course. And, and the barrel forms, like the, your career will change. It's going to ebb and flow. Like things are going to move. Like Now in the micro, I say, when you're in that micro 
of that process, you want to go all in. Every little micro thing you're doing, it's pedal to the metal, be able to take them on the chin because it's coming and believe that every little building block that you place is in the spirit of building this, this building that you dreamed of. It may not be the exact look and feel, you know, when the building is starting to come to life, but that's okay because you don't have a crystal ball and you don't know what you may fall in love with down the line, what you may grow to not like down the, all of these things, you know, um, life throws at you things that have nothing to do with your profession that could change things for you and often does. Um, and I think today, you know, the, I, I would say the component that, I don't know about concerns, but uh, makes me pause is I very rarely run into younger, the younger generation of, of future culinarians and craftspeople that have this all-in obsessive um, approach. Forget for Pentaton, for anything, for anything. I think there's there's something to be said for, for I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely a, an ADD guy, which is what allowed me to survive in this industry, right? It gives us our superpower. We can do 20 things at once. Um, but also it's, it, ADD is also a very obsessive thing. You obsess over things and you become a, I mean, look at, behind you is a, is a small amount of- That's right. About 3,000. So. By the way, this isn't my real home. This is a corporate apartment that I rent during the holidays, so I, don't have, so I don't have to sleep in my car anymore. Oh, that's a good call. Um, so, how let, let's talk about the catalyst for what you're doing now. Like, what right. was that that switch? So, like, Panettone, I'm going for it. You know, you've you've worked for some incredible people, and it's like, how did it? How did these pieces come together to make this? beautiful panettone that like when the box hits my house the whole I open the first box and the whole house smells like panettone and I like have to restrain myself from devouring the whole thing and I'm not saying this to blow smoke up your ass I'm being fucking dead serious and you know me I appreciate that and you know I will I would never you would call me on my shit if you need I would call you out it is it is so revelatory and you know I want you to explain it how yeah. it came to be and then let's and then i want you to go into when the tsunami hit which i remember that moment when the tsunami hit and i remember the holy shit moment when everybody was like where did this guy come from and what the hell is going on um so when i when i got introduced to panettone at a different category level it was on impact um you know a tsunami hitting my soul. Like, what in the world is this? Um, and I, you know, realized very quickly, wow, this is a phenomenally difficult product to make because it happened at Pierre May, right? I, I was in this, you know, this is the greatest French pastry kitchen in the world. I mean, I am in the Michael Jordan of the pastry world atelier here and all the cooks and sous chefs there are all just light years ahead of me. Do I even belong here, right? Um, and they were most of the time kind of even keeled, cool. But then right around Panettone production time, I sensed 
there was a thickness in the air that I didn't understand. And then I'm like, why is everyone stressing out about this thing? But more importantly, why in the world is Pierre May making this disgusting product that is inedible, right? Until I tasted what they were making and I was just frozen. I was like, what am I eating here? This is not what we get in the United States. But more importantly than that, I pretty much think I've never had anything like this in my life. Mind you, and at PRMA, I blown away by the croissants, the quignamon, the kugelhoff, the macarons. They were all in the category of, oh my God, this is like the best of this I've ever had, right? Can you put into, just give everybody a true understanding, Pierre Hermé, and we're not talking Hermé, the fabric and the scarves. We're talking Pierre Hermé. Okay. Give them the background because a lot of people might not know. Sure. So for those that know nothing about the pastry world, let's take a world that they probably can at least on a surface level relate to. So we're in a space now, for example, in basketball where people like to debate MJ, LeBron, that the majority of the people go MJ cool. But there is a conversation. There is no conversation on this topic. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know who's number two. But whoever is number two is so far behind in terms of footprint, legacy, impact, continued impact, um, that... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Have you ever been a part of a conversation that someone's like, you know, I don't think he's the best of all time. I think it's this guy. Never. And he's always doing it with a smile on his face. That's right. Super fun. <laughs> so, I mean, when I say that, it's not hyperbole. I'm, I'm being dead serious. Um, where I think you can say, like, on the savory side, chefs, there's lots of debates, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of names on the table. There's not a lot of names on the table here. There's one. There's one name. Um, so for me to experience it for the first time there, and it just, again, different than, my God, this Queen is delicious as it is. This was, not only was it insanely delicious, I couldn't even resolve, what am I eating here? What, what is happening in my mouth that I, I, I couldn't even describe? So it was right then I was like, okay, I got to learn more about this stuff. And so, the, you know, the, the, the obsession began, the journey began, and I ended up making my way to, to Italy to, you know, basically learn from the same guy Pierre May learned from. Um, kind of like what I told you about last day Colony School and how'd you get there? I just showed up and they had no choice but to let me in. So but, you told me this story. Yeah. And I think this is fucking priceless and amazing. Yeah. And it truly shows how much not only dedication you had, or have to what you wanted to do, but the excitement on the other end for somebody seeing your excitement. Yeah, I, I mean, you know what, what's even now, you know, we, I, I keep in touch with him regularly, you know, thank God for Google Translate because he doesn't speak English. Um, and that story, tell that story of you showing okay. it, because to me, that's amazing. So, I mean, the, the seed was planted at, at Pierre May, and I had found out, you know, where did Mr. May learn how to make panettone? He's French. It's not a thing in France at all, um, other than what's imported from Italy. And they're like, oh, like 25 years ago, he 
went to Italy to learn from like some like crazy panettone whisperer. I was like, you know his name? Not that I really knew Italian pastry chefs. And they're like something Masari or something. I'm like, okay, put it in the data bank. Then I get to El Bulli and uh, Paco Torreblanca. Oh, you could argue he's on the Mount Rushmore of pastry as well, right? Like he's, he's on that, he's on that mountain. Um, had a shop in uh, Rosas where El Bulli was. And one day I, I walk in and beautiful shop, but I see on the shelf, Panettone just as beautiful in the same style as Pierre. I'm like, oh my God, he makes Panettone. And I'm like, that's a Spanish. And it was epic. And luckily one of my buddies uh, on the pastry team had joined from working for Paco Torreblanca. So I asked him, I said, yo, did you make this with him? It was like, I wasn't on that team, but yeah, I saw it made every day. I'm like, it's insanely, he was like, man, it is, it, it, it's a problem. Like, I can't have it around me. I'm like, it's so incredible. I was like, do you know where in the world would a Spanish pastry chef learn how to make pen? It's like, yeah, he went somewhere in Italy, you know, in his, in his younger days. I'm like, do you, you know, asking where in Italy you went to learn how to make panettone is probably like asking an American, where'd you work to learn how to make a burger, right? Like there's endless possibilities. So in my mind, the idea that maybe he would say the same thing as what they, so he was like, yeah, some dude named, Masari, I was like, Masari? They're like, yeah, Masari. I'm like, stop. They're like, yeah, apparently he's like the godfather of all things Panettone. And remember we talked about you never know when your plan's gonna change? At that moment, my plan changed. I had a plan for what I was doing after El Bulli. On impact, when he said that, I was like, cool. That's where I'm going when this season ends. And I'd made a decision. I'm going to learn how to make panettone from Eugenio Masari. Mind you, I'd never heard of the guy. Didn't Nordic know it was. Italian. I just knew this. <laughs> Jeremy and Paco Torreblanca learned how to make this insane product from him. That's where I'm going. So it's the end of the year at Obuli and much like the CIA thing. Like, oh, where's everybody going? And, you know, it was right around Truffle Festival time in Alba. That was always on my bucket list of things just to go experience. So that was part of my plan. But then I was coming back to the States after like a week or 10 days and time to get to work. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to the truffle festival and then I'm going to go find this Masari guy. So we're all having beers one night and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Where are you going? Uh, Roy, we heard you're going to the truffle festival. I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing one more thing uh, after that. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? It's like, I'm going to go learn how to make uh, panettone. And they're like, oh, you're taking a class? I'm like, mm, not really. I'm like, well, where, where are you going to learn how to make it? We had like five Italians that season, right? You've met a few Italians in your life? Yeah. You're in, it's an interesting people. <laughs> um, not so dissimilar from my Israeli people, by the way. Um, we, we, we're not vague in our opinions, thoughts, and ideas. Just throwing that out there. Um, so when I say, yeah, I'm going to learn from this guy, uh, Eugenio Masari. Now for the Italians, they were like, I'm sorry, what did what, you just say? Yeah, some guy, I'm going to learn from Eugenio Masari. And they're like, you're going to learn from Eugenio Masari? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you set up a stage with him? I'm like, no, he doesn't even know I'm alive. And they just start laughing and like, Roy, that it doesn't work that way in Italy. You can't just go somewhere. I'm like, sure you can. And they're like, you can go. He's not just going to stop what he's doing and teach you how to make panettone. I'm like, okay, I'll just keep coming back until he gets tired of me. 
And they thought that I was just like being funny. I guess they didn't know me intimately, but I was like, yeah, I mean, that's just what's going to happen, right? I mean, he's going to have to tell me to never show up again and like evict me from his property. So this is before like iPhone and Waze and Google Maps and like none of that. This is like, I look it up on Yahoo, I print the map and I'm like, oh, I got to take the train to here. And then I've got the pencil and I'm like, okay, the name of this street is right. And I'm walking. So I go to Milan, I'm at the train station. I take a train to this city I've never heard of, Brescia. And I get to the train station and realize it's like a four or five mile walk over there. And he has no idea I'm alive. I get all the way there. It's a Monday. Get all the way there. Closed. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Cannot believe it's closed. Now, I don't know. Are they on holiday? Is it just closed today? I mean, God forbid there's communication somewhere, right? Um, so I'm like. We're, we're talking, and I think this is really, really important. These moments were done before the iPhone before okay. we had all access to everything, like computers in your pocket, right. you had you had zero. So it was like, we survived off previous menus that friends would photocopy because they went to the restaurant and they would share with you, okay. right? Like, it's like, oh my God, you went there? Can I get a copy of that menu? And you'd run it over to Kinko's and make a photocopy and you'd pay for it, right? You'd like- No YouTube videos, none of that. None of that stuff existed. So to find these places took work. It was no joke. Effort. And so I start knocking at the door because obviously it's closed. There's no one in there, but it looks like is someone working in there. Like I know how bakeries work. Like on days off, there's prep happening. So fuck, I don't know. Is someone going to open the door? Knock, 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 knock. Finally, this guy opens the door. He doesn't really speak English, but he spoke enough English to understand that I was looking for Mr. Masari, right? And I understood enough of what he was saying to say that he's not here, but he was like, hold on. Gets his phone, he calls someone, I don't know who he's calling. And apparently he called Mr. Masari's son. Um, he shows up about 15 minutes later. He speaks just enough English. But before he showed up, Mr. Masari's wife shows up. Now, if Mr. Masari speaks no English, she speaks negative English, right? So she really doesn't understand. But here, here's what was so fascinating to me. We couldn't communicate the way you and I are communicating. But the even before they knew my purpose or what I was there for, because the son hadn't arrived yet to translate, the warmth, the hos hospitality, like, come in, would you like a coffee? I mean, like, you don't know me. I mean, for all you know, I could be ill-intented off the street, like no clue what I'm up to, right? And so I was so taken back by this. And so he, he worked at, you know, Pierre May, El Bulli, you know, I'm from the United States. I was like, I've heard all about your father and I really wanna, if nothing else, just meet him, uh, pick his brain even for 30 minutes. But ideally I would love to, stay for a bit and maybe learn how to make panettone. And so he's like, well, my father's out of town, but he'll be back um, early this evening. Uh, so why don't you hang out for a bit, uh, you know, have something to eat or I was like, oh, okay. Mr. Masari arrives, 
And I'm like, oh, wow, that, that's the guy. Like that, that is the dude. Um, they kind of let him know, I can, I, not that I understand, but I'm assuming they're accurately letting him know what I tried to convey. They were like, yeah, no problem. Cool. I'm like, wow, all right. So for the next few hours, Mr. Masari takes me to like this underground office that he has where he's got, at this point, he's like 65, I think, something like that. All his life's work, memorabilia, books, awards. He's got folders that are 40 years old with handwritten notes and recipes. And it, now I feel like I was taken into like the underground storage at the Louvre that no one gets to see, right? And I'm like, does he know I'm a nobody, right? Like, what is this? And then I'm like, oh, I hope they didn't tell him that I am Pierre May because that would explain this level of hospitality, but I'm sure he knows what Pierre May looks like. So he knows I'm not him. I said, I worked at Pierre May and I wasn't even getting paid, right? Like I'm as low on the, but it was like, wow. So we're at the end of all that. And so I tell his son, I'm like, hey, would, I, I didn't have time to look up, typical me. I'm just looking for like a hostel that I can, that I can stay in like, you know, student budget, you know, all I have is this backpack. Um, do you think you can point me in the direction? He's like, yeah, yeah my, my dad will, will take you, uh, he'll drop you off. I'm like, cool. Um, so I get in the car with Mr. Masari. We have tons to talk about, obviously. Right? Um, so we drive and I see he pulls into this, this parking lot where there's a hotel, which I obviously have no business staying at because um, clearly it wasn't communicated that this guy's on a budget and it's not very large. Um, we're talking in between sleeping bag outside the door and shared room with five other people budget. Um, so, so he pulls in and so I'm like, okay, this is going to be awkward because I clearly can't communicate to him that I can't stay here, but, oh, he'll just drop me off at the front and then I'll go in and ask like the concierge something, right? It was the type of place that had a concierge. So, um, no such luck. He parks the car and he walks in with me. I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna be terrible. Cause he's thinking, oh, he's gonna help me check in cause they may not speak English. But... So he goes to the desk and I don't know, he's having a conversation with them like they know him or something. I mean, I guess they do. And um, then his son tells me, okay, um, just go, uh, you know, give them your ID and stuff. And my dad will pick you up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm like, 4.30 in the morning, your dad's picking you up? He's like, yeah, you wanna learn how to make panettone. And I'm thinking like, I'm gonna observe the team make panettone. Like he's not gonna be anywhere to be found. I'm like, wait, he's picking me up? And they're like, yeah, isn't that what you wanted? I'm like, sure, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I wanted. You struck the gold mine. So I wait for them to leave and I like cautiously walk up to the front desk and I'm like, hey, um, I don't know how to say this, but I can't stay here. And they look at me like I fell off the moon. I'm like, ah, do you not know English? You know, they're like, no, no, we speak fluent English. I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to waste your time. I can't stay here. Can you point me in the direction of like a really inexpensive hostel or something? They're like, we can, but we're just curious why. I'm like, oh, it's not, I, I love your hotel. It's amazing. 
just to be blunt, I can't afford to stay here. They're like, that's okay too. I'm like, all right. There seems to be a problem in our communication here. Um, <laughs> I thought I was clear in saying I can't stay here because I don't have the money to stay here. They're like, we understand that. Do you know the man that just left? I'm like, I, I mean, I met him like a few hours ago. I'm like, okay, well, whatever he is to you, he covered your stay for the time that you're here. And I'm like, what? He's paying for this? I'm like, that's what he told us. So here's your room key. And I was like, he literally met me three hours ago. Um, and sure enough, he was earlier than 4.30. And um, we head off to the kitchen and I'm thinking I'm gonna walk in and you know, it's gonna be this bustling production team. And we walk in and there was no one there, lights were off. He was the first one there and I'm thinking, Oh, he, he's, he's just opening and soon everyone's coming. No, everyone doesn't arrive to like seven or eight. I'm like, wow, he just came here at this time for me. Found out later from his son. I was like, I mean, yes, he's, he's, he's teaching you, but he arrives at that time every day. He's 65 and he absolutely does not need to. He's got a team of 30 pastry people down there. If he never wanted to touch product again, no problem. So I'm like, wow, this is my guy, right? Like he doesn't have to do any of this. He wants it. He wants he it. Because wants he's to do this. So for the next couple of weeks, I just got to be in there, brain wide open, blown away, watching him, him make panettone. Um, very little talking, not because he wouldn't have wanted to converse with me, but we couldn't converse. Um, and, you know, took books of notes to the best that I could. Um, he tried his best to explain via translation with his son when his son was around. And, you know, I went, I went back and felt like I had discovered the fountain of youth and no one else knew about it. Like I couldn't understand how the world isn't aware of how ridiculous this is. Now at the time, if you told me I'm going to have a business that makes panettone, I would have been, no, that I would have a business that maybe incorporates panettone. Cause at that time, my dream was I gotta have my own shop, right? I'm gonna have a shop and it's gonna be amazing. And people are gonna wait in lines and all this stuff. And this is gonna be one of our trademark products. That was my plan. Leave Italy, come back, continue my career. Um, work at this place, this place, this. And started practicing Panettone all the time, all the Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of product. Like, like, oh my God, but I'm doing what I watched him do. I don't understand why it's not working you know i'd be texting his son it's like can you ask your dad you know blah 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 because you know i couldn't research this on anywhere right i there were a couple of books they were garbage right like there was so just access to information was so low other than the bunch of notes that i had you know and at one point you know i found a rhythm 
you know, I, I found kind of, you know, my song and dance within this really complicated arena of dancing, right? That was seemed to be working for me. And I began to develop my own little like, ah, it's this and it's this. And, and you know, every now and again, a bump, but then the bumps became less frequent, right? Which as a craftsperson gives you confidence that you're headed in the right direction. And so the time came in my career where I got to open, you know, my dream project at the time. Um, and it was going to be in Houston, it was in Houston. You're familiar with, uh, with, with the city. And it was a very, very high profile opening. Um, and it was everything I dreamed it to be and then some, and then just when I thought that, you know, hour long, like name it, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a very expensive project, right? Done the right way. Um, but it was going to be more than anything we thought it could be, right? Um, even though I was the eternal optimist, it even surpassed what I thought, at least in timing. I didn't think it would be so quick. And then uh, the universe had a different plan for me. Um, before the opening, while we were in construction, I had fallen in love with the love of my life, uh, fast and hard. And we were pregnant within six months of dating uh, with joy, right? It wasn't like we were thrilled, yeah. but I don't have to tell you, being alone and single and going into this journey resembles being a new father and a new husband, not at all. It is a, you, you're not only playing a different game, you're not even playing sports anymore. You are doing something entirely different. And it was this, everything changed, right? Um, we, we, we had met in New York, so we had, essentially we had no choice to leave New York and come to Houston, pregnant at eight months, newborn, greatest day of my life, five months before opening. And, you know, the, the scope of life, you know, gave me a deck of cards that, you know, I can say today, was so ill prepared for. Just, but nobody's ever prepared to be, you can't be prepared. It's I'm not knocking myself instruction book. It's not like, you know, when you get a driver's license, they give you a test and you got these instructions to read. They don't give you that for, to be a parent. And you throw in parenting, running a restaurant, marriage. Talked about marriage, we talked about earlier, restaurant industry is selfish. Being a chef is selfish because as much as you're giving to the public, you have to take everything around you goes to the, to the back. And that's a very selfish part of our business that we, I think a lot of times we neglect to look at. And it's like, for you to, to realize that and say, okay, change time, you know, that's right. big. So, you know, the blessing that I couldn't see at that time was, you know, the person that came into my life, right? Um, of course, personally, I'd already seen it, hence falling in love fast and hard, right? But who she was in her professional life, which is in her own right, a superstar amongst superstars in the um, design, branding, visual systems world, right? Like when I say superstar, I mean at an elite level, right? And I mean, I'd never met anyone like this, so I was swept away. But I couldn't see at the time that, oh, 
this might benefit me, us, our family, you know, our kind of joint crafts. I couldn't have seen that at all. So about a year into the project in Houston, maybe a little before, with everything going on and, you know, had some, you know, not aligned visions with, you know, the two investors that I had um, and realized that, you know, I had to walk away from this project. Super, you know, I had 50 people working for me. I had seven managers that come from the same pedigree I came from that moved to Houston to do this with me. Um, and we were on our way. And you know what it's like to lead a team. And it's like, they're my family, right? Like in that moment, like I spend more time with you than anyone. And right to have to stand in front of them one day before we open doors and announce this was just brutality, just brutality. Um, did I know that it was the right thing to do? Probably on the surface, but tons of questions beneath it, heartache, sadness, um, defeat. Um, and as someone who deals with mental health struggles, right? It, I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't call this a trigger. I would call this a shotgun blast. Yeah. Right. It's, that's a really, that's a really important thing. I mean, failure when you have mental health or, or making big decisions like this that affect not just yourself, but everyone around you has adverse effects on you and your mental health. And everything. By the way, we were also now pregnant with number two. <laughs> so, I mean, we were, I mean, you can say like, we weren't really ambitious, you know, start a business, get pregnant, have a newborn, take a little break, have another baby, get pregnant, right? um, relocate everyone to Houston, right? Like just do it all together, all at the same time. But then you, then you pick up and you move to the Bay Area, right? No. No. Oh my God. <laughs> We're going to, this could be, this is going to be like the longest podcast in history. So when we, when you think about that, like these big jumps, right? And you have now a family, you've got two kids, you've got a wife, you've been working all over Europe, you're ready to open this monster. Where does, where did this all fit into play? Like, where did this Panettone come? When did this moment? So at, 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 our, at our business in, in Houston, I mean, which still exists, but it's had two owners since I left. And it's an entirely different thing today, right? Um, we had one holiday season. We made Panettone. To sell, like, we didn't even have boxes. We put stickers on bags, right? I'm in you Houston. You put a bag, right? With a little... Yeah. And I, you know, this was going to be the first time that, you know, I, in a very real intentional way, was selling this thing that I had been practicing for many, many, many years, right? And I didn't, I know most Houstonians don't know about, most Americans don't. And if they think Panettone, they think what I thought, right? Like, I don't know, they're probably not going to buy very many of these, even though we were, you know, killing it in the city but this was a particular product that was very particular right first day i don't know we made we didn't have any instagram account yet instagram was new so i was like why i don't understand like one of my sous chefs was like chef you you should get an instagram account I'm like what's instagram and like it's this thing where you can share photos i was like but don't i already do that on facebook they're like yeah but it's different i'm like it's okay, different. But how, they're like how's it different you can put photos
those and like other people can see it. I'm like, so we've established that Facebook does that too. Yeah. So I'm still waiting to understand what is different. <laughs> Why would someone go to this when they already go to this just to see the same photo, right? Um, I didn't get it, right? So I think we made like, we were gonna do like four days of Panettone for the holidays, right? Uh, and of course we were doing tons of pie and things like that. And day one, we made like 80, which for a small, it wasn't a small pastry shop, but in terms of production space, it was tiny. Um, was big, sold out. I'm like, whoa. Next day, we open the doors daily like at eight, if I remember correctly, nine o'clock on the weekend. Second day, we had people lining up an hour before. Now, lines for us were pretty common. So, but I remember this was a weekday and I did find it a little odd so early. You know, weekday, you know, people line up like at 8.40. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have a line of whatever on the weekdays, like 20 people. Weekends would be an hour long line. Right. And so I'm like, this is, this is odd. We open the doors. Everyone there is in line for Pantone. And very quickly, I realized first guy, and we only made 80 again. First guy buys six. Next guy buys four. Next person buys eight. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot of people. And within 10 minutes, I'm like, we got to put a cap on how many each person can buy. I was like, don't sell anyone more than two. Like, we got to give people an opportunity to purchase product. And so it was like that for about a week. It was crazy. Now, even at this time, my brain wasn't thinking past, oh, this is an amazing product to sell, right? I think it has a big future. I really believe that. Um, now, Tali my wife at the time, um, you know, fast forward, we move, we, we moved to New York, pregnant um, at eight months with number two, with a one and a little more than one and a half year old in diapers. She got this amazing job for this, you know, great brand strategy firm in New York. Um, so we moved there. We had both lived in New York for many years before. I was already not in a, in a great space, right? Um, and along the way, we're talking and, and she, she says, you know, I think our next thing should be around Panettone. And I'm like, you know, I, I was thinking we should do a lot of focus on that because, you know, it has a long shelf life. It's a really giftable product. Um, it, it doesn't have to be sold the day you make it, right? Like it can be shipped, all this stuff. Um, I was like, great, so we need to find a space in New York for a shop. She was like, no, 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 no shop. And I'm like, didn't you just say you wanted to do a business for Panettone? And she's like, yes, but no shop. I'm like, I'm really not understanding some things. There's a puzzle piece missing here that I'd love for you to share with me. She's like, only in the digital space. And I'm like, excuse me? What do you mean, like only online? And she's like, yes, and ship it all over the country and maybe one day all over the world. And at first I was, you'd be shocked to hear, not for it. <laughs> um, but because I'll say this, because I had such an immense respect for her expertise in this world, I didn't say that. I was like, 
okay, I, I need to give this some thought, but you gotta, you gotta help me wrap my head around this. Cause I don't come from this world. I come from what I do. You open spaces, physical spaces that people come to. She's like, that's all good and well, but it's also a very, very low ceiling. That's very easily defined very quickly. And you can only sell to the people that can find a parking spot. And she was like, I know you, I think at least as well as anyone, I think you're a lot more ambitious than that. And if you eliminate that space and invest in just a production space and then ship it anywhere, that means now you don't need parking spaces. No one needs to drive anywhere. They can be in the comfort of their own home and it just shows up at their door. And we invest a lot less money, right? We don't have to get investors or anything like that. Because in the beginning, right, we could, I could find somewhere to pay rent and produce the little bitty that we were going to start with, right? And that's how the journey began, like that. And, you know, I was, I was not doing well in uh, New York. And Tali knew that, um, you know, the Bay Area had a very special place in my heart. I had spent four years there, uh, three and a half being the pastry chef at Cyrus when it was in its heyday, which was just a magical time. And I always said one day I'd love to I'd love to come back and live. And she was like, "Well, you know, my company's headquarters are in San Francisco. You know, do you think that you would feel more at ease?" And I was like, "Yes." Boom! Just like that, decided we're packing up the family. Now we're going to San Francisco. <laughs> by the way, we're all certifiably crazy. Um, and by the way, her her parents are in tow with us everywhere. They moved from Israel to Houston for the birth of our first. And then they're like, whoa, we're going to New York? Okay, we're going to New York. I'm like, oh, we're going to San Francisco? Oh, let's go to San Francisco. So we have a 19 month old and a three week old and we're packing up the house going to the Bay Area. And we're gonna launch this with two kids under two, new job for the wife. And oh, we're gonna launch this business with this product that we're not even sure anyone's gonna buy, but that's what we're gonna do. This, this, is, this is a pretty powerful thing because... It sounds really smart, right? <laughs> it, it does, 100%, because it's driven by passion. This is true. And I think that is a really powerful thing. When it you have a collective brain power, the two of you, I mean, let's be honest, the packaging is stunning. Um, you know, really well thought out, really beautifully designed you know, the product speaks for itself. Who was the one? Because I want you to tell the story because I remember this. I remember it just getting, and it just turned into hotcakes. Like you couldn't, I remember hearing stories of you, like just your head about to explode about the orders coming in. Yeah. So I, we moved to the Bay Area. We've got, you know, we're, we're, it's all in the works. Um, I had secured the ability at least for when we launch for a few months to uh, be able to produce in the new man race of bread space that they had just launched. You know, I'd known David Kinch when we were launching the project in Houston, when they knew they were going to do man race of bread, he sent a few of his bakers down to spend some time with us. So, you know, it was almost like a kind of return the favor kind of thing. And it was, you know, I, I don't think I would have been able to launch when we did without his graciousness, right? 
And look, I don't know how many people really understand what it's like to launch a new business and agree to let another business in there, even small one, that's not doing what you do. Because look, let's be honest, hosting someone else is more energy. It's a distraction from what you're doing, right? Not that I needed my handheld, but that's not my space, right? So, you know, I look back at it. This was six years ago. I mean, just amazing. Like, but anyone who's met David knows that, you know, this is not your run of the mill human. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's really not. And, you know, Avery, who's, you know, the co-owner of Menresa, she was, she was amazing and welcoming me and, you know, accommodating me to the best they could, which was amazing. Um, so I get through the first holiday. Um, let me tell you how stupid I was in the beginning. So I wasn't aware that there were programs that could link to your, at the time it was our Shopify website. Shopify was relatively new at the time that could link to your Shopify website, import orders, and you could print shipping labels, right? I, I wasn't aware this existed. So what I would do is after my crazy long day of production, I would have one screen with the orders and on the other screen in my UPS account, and I would manually type in addresses, print them one by one, I would handwrite the notes people wanted and I would do all the packing, all the shipping. All, I mean, all of it. And it was the right off the bat. All we did was post something on Instagram and I, you know, probably because of, you know, my career and people I knew in the industry, it was, we launched December 10th. Um, so we had, you know, let's say a solid 10 days for Christmas. And I was like, man, if I can sell 50 of these, that would be amazing, right? And I think we did 300, right? I keep using the pronoun we, I don't know why, because I mean, we and that me and Tali own the business, but she was a little busy with two kids in diapers and a newborn. I don't know if anyone knows how difficult that is. By the way, much harder than making Panettone for whatever it's worth. So. <laughs> I was away baking while she was away, you know, growing humans. Um, and I was, you know, I'm very scatterbrained ADD, right? My ability to forget misplaces at a very high level. And I was kind of patting myself on the shoulder. I was like, I don't think I made any mistakes shipping. Like I didn't send something to the wrong place. I didn't forget any orders, right? And along the way in that 10 day window, some pretty reputable chefs like made some posts about what they received. Uh, one of which was Wiley, right? Who was with me at El Bouli. He came for two weeks. So we got to know each other pretty well then. So he got one gifted to him, right? And he had a post about it. Um, and then someone commented on his post, all this excitement about this is from Roy, you know, it'd be nice if I got my, something like that. It's kind of snarky, not mean, but like snarky, like, this person hadn't received product. And I'm like, oh my God, did someone not? And I look up this person, I look up the order. And I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot this one. So I email with her and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I am overnighting you. She ordered one, I overnighted her like four, right? I'm so very sorry, it's our first holiday. 
you know, I, I, I can't apologize enough. I'm refunding you. And I'm, Great. She, I sent it off. And I'm like, okay, I, I think she'll, she'll be, she'll be cool. Then the next day I get a call from a number I don't recognize. And at this point I'm so drained. I can't even pronounce my own name. I pick up the phone and she's like, hi, um, you sent me the, the Panettone. Remember you forgot my Panettone and it took me a moment. I'm like, Oh yes. Did you receive it? Is, is it in good good shoes? Like, I don't even know what to say right now. Um, the only thing I know I want to say is I want to do a story for the times. Now I'm on like two hours sleep. So I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. What, I, I don't, what do you, you want to do a story for the times What the, the Oakland times? What? She's like, no, the times. The LA Times? I don't, I don't, she's like, the New York Times. Now at this point, I'm so dumb that I'm not even assuming, oh, I guess she's a freelance journalist, writer, like she writes for the Times. I'm like, but how are you gonna write for, so dumb. I'm like, how are you gonna write for the Times? She's like, oh, because I'm a journalist and I do, you know, I do freelance writing and I wanna do a story about you. I'm like, you know, we just launched, like literally three weeks ago. She's like, I know, but this is revelatory. I, 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 I want to tell your story. I'm like, you don't even know my story. She's like, whatever it is, I want to tell it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And even when I said that, I think there was this skepticism in me like, okay, this is all bullshit, right? Like it's some blog, right? Like she's going to tag the New York Times, right? I, I wasn't, and so like a week later, we do the whole interview thing. She sends someone out to do a photo shoot and that's holidays are over. And this for me is about to get into the, you know, the beginning of the litmus test for what my premise in the business was, which I felt very strongly that Panettone, if done at a particular level, did not have to exist only in December in the same way that pies don't only exist in November, right? It's a 12 month a year thing that everyone has no issue accepting with endless flavors, but, and it's not anything to knock against the three flavors we all love for Thanksgiving, right? The one has nothing to do with the other. So that was, you know, the premise, right? And now that the holidays are over, like, I don't know, am I gonna go months at a time and no one's gonna buy one of these? Like, I mean, I don't even know what I'm about to get into. Like, was this like the worst idea in the world? So the article comes out, I wanna say end of January, and even when I realized, okay, this really is going to be in the times, I was thinking it's going to be, you know, this little thing on the last page of the blah, 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 which thankful for, like, it's something, right? Someone's talking about it. Food section, New York times, front cover, huge thing. And I didn't even, when it hit, like, I knew, okay, I was going to go get it. But, you know, I'm on the West Coast, so all my friends, colleagues are three hours ahead, right? So, okay, I didn't go get it at 5.30 in the morning. But, you know, over breakfast, I was going to stop somewhere and grab the times, right? I wake up, like, 5.36. I've got 50 texts, 30 voicemails. Now, up front, I'm like, oh my God, something happened. I'm, it's not registering, right? Like there's an emergency, right? This, there's only one way to explain this. And I start listening to voicemails. And I'm like, 
okay, I got to go get this. I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't get a coffee. I just ran out the door. And I see this thing. And I'm just like, I, I don't believe this. This can't be real. Like we're two months old. But, but remember, and I think this is really important. It's like, and I think this is a great, great way to, to really make people understand. You put your heart and soul into something and it came to fruition because you put your heart and soul into it. Yeah. And from there, you have grown again. You've moved out of that space. I've been to your big space. Oof. You've done, you've changed the game on your terms. And I think that's a really powerful thing. And I think that's really, really to me, the most important thing about what you've done is you've created a beautiful product on your terms. Yeah, you know, I, you know, when I was younger, I always knew that, you know, my convictions, my, a lot of people would say stubbornness and kind of inflexible when I have determined that I want something, um, you know, part of being wired that way um, lends itself to a lot of hard times. But a lot of hard times, but, good times. but with that, if you can persevere, the, the fruit that can ripen on that tree is some of the sweetest fruit you'll ever taste. Exactly. Because of what you just said, your terms, your way, through the good, through the bad, through the awful, through the amazing, all of it together. And like when I opened that thing and I saw the title of it, the panettone that big chefs can't get enough of. Now, at this point, like some of the chefs in this conversation, like these are people I look up to. Like, yes, Wiley had become a, you know, let's call it at that time, a very close acquaintance. But this was Wiley, like Wiley was Wiley. Oh, I know. I still, I love Wiley to death. He's a great friend. I'm still scared to cook for him. Yeah. It's just what it is. <laughs> no, I, I get it. And well, it What's going on in between his ears is oh, uh, knowledge. So much. It's it's some other level stuff going on. Well, what one of the things I think it's really like because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're crushing on time here because we're going through tons of time because there's so much to share and I really want to like I want to hit on a bunch a couple little things before we can close this up because we're gonna. Why don't you guide from here? We're gonna we're pushing on a long one here, so. Now let's just push forward. So this is how many years ago when this article came out? Give me a January of 2016. Okay. So we're 2021. Now you're in a new space. You're how many Panettone are you putting out a year compared to your first year where you did 300? <laughs> um, we're, we're inching towards a hundred times that. Okay. That's, I mean, and the time and energy that goes into it and the feel. And I'm- By the way, with, with, no, with no financial spend on building business, meaning marketing, advertising, nothing. Zero. All, and I think, you know, we've all, I mean, I was gifted. I think that was the, yeah, that year I was gifted one. I got one through- Phil Baltz? Correct. I remember I, that. I remember year. your name on the list. <laughs> I remember that. And that for me, that was that revelatory moment. And that was a gift that he sent to me. And I think 
you know, every year I can't like not, it's like there's certain things in the holidays, like we do pizza freed or malasadas or doughboys, however you choose to call them. And we have panettone. And I think you have set this parameter for again, me reaching back to my childhood, but bringing it to the future, which where it should be now, like the quality of what it is. And I think you have now done something that is on your terms and you've won on your terms. And I think that is such a powerful message to share with everybody because you put your head down, you worked your ass off, you created a delicious, it's craveable. You put one, a panettone in front of somebody, they can't stop eating it. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Like that's a lot of caloric intake for one human to eat all by themselves. If you don't share it, you're kind of an asshole, but I get it too, right? <laughs> it's easy to not share. It's easy to not share. That's why you have to buy many. So now you have a situation where you have to set up timelines for your guests to get panettones before the holiday. So I want you to kind of share the timelines. So if folks do want to get it for the holidays, they know. Right. Um, so, you know, because we're not a, a store that you can just drive up to and pick one up um, and you can get it anywhere, delivered anywhere, we have to also a lot for our processing time of the product, our packing time of the product and the shipping time of the product, right? So let's take this year, I believe Thanksgiving falls on the 25th, correct me if I'm wrong, Thursday the 25th. Oh yeah. So, you know, we begin shipping. Um, we start with the East Coast because it takes the longest, like on the 15th, 16th. But the cutoff, because we have to allocate for production time, um, is probably by the end of this week, if you put in your order by the end of this week for Thanksgiving, um, you will, you will definitely get your panettone. Now we also, you know, over the years have learned so much about, you know, the back end of, you know, the website and sales and the platform. And so even right now, if you're like, man, I'm glad I heard that. How do I make sure I get one for Christmas or for new year's Eve or for both on the website? You know, when you go to the checkout after you put in your address, you'll be prompted to choose Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Um, and you can put that in today and then you can sleep freely and know that you're going to get your panettone for the holiday of your choice. Very important, folks, because I can tell you from my own personal shit the bed that I forgot to order and I drove down to and tell people that <laughs> i drove down we're in a special category of people <laughs> i drove down to pick up last minute because i could it couldn't get shipped so i placed my order and went and picked up so that's very it was well it, we don't allow that doesn't allow i'm not telling everybody where you are i'm just saying i did we had a secret coffee location that's right that's right <laughs> so and now you're doing what uh you're doing your own jandouille as well correct and that was you know I, so many people most people don't know this is that before launch these were the two products that we were debating which one to launch first because in the same thinking that i had about panettone which i felt like well i feel this way about everything in the universe i always feel like whatever it is name it there's so much room at the top so much room it's almost empty because
anyone doing this? And so with the same thing with, you know, the brand that everyone is aware of and loves and sells billions of little jars a year, um, but has very, very little hazelnut in it and lots of palm oil, all good. There's something for everyone. I have always wanted to create one available to the masses that is dominantly hazelnut. It's delicious. And no palm oil, right? And so this has been R&D for me for years. And we finally got to a point last year where we were ready to launch this. Um, we had been working with a uh, manufacturer for some time to dial in you know, my recipe and all that. So the reason it says sold out on the website now is because we're waiting on our, our, our new product uh, to arrive, which should happen very, very soon and will be available for people to order for Christmas and New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, so we are very strategically going to add to our little family of, it'll never be a space where there's 30 items to choose from. It's, it, this is not that kind of party. Right. Um, there's lots of pastry items that I love that I will never be making for my business. Um, I'm a big believer that less is more, generally speaking. In, in most things, I have yet to come across a situation where I'm like, you know, it would be better here? More. Um, <laughs> Good I, point. I, I, and, and that also is, I would like to b believe, and this is something that I say on a regular basis, as you grow in this industry as you get older you learn to self-edit and whether that's putting items on a plate or whether it's looking at your menu it's you're streaming things down to make things you know a little bit truer to form and i think the the less there is the less you have to hide behind and the more you focus on your craft and what you're doing yeah and you know the less the less there is it's it's an interesting kind of the less there is the more you are putting yourself out there to be Way more exposed, to be scrutinized, right? Because and there's less to hide behind. There's it's less about your technique and craft. Right. There's not 17 components on the plate, right? It's uh, you know, one of my dear friends, and I just I, I just love the way he approaches food. I don't know if you've uh, I'm sure you've been to Copenhagen. I don't know if you've been to his restaurant, um, uh, Christian. Well, when he oh, he's brilliant. Him. Love him. I mean you know, when I went to visit him for the first time and ate his food, it, you know, it, the plate gets in front of you and it looks just so simple. There's so little on the plate. And then you take a bite and you just close your eyes and you're just, I hate to use the word perfect, but Jesus, this is perfect. If there was one. Well, um, you strip away all the bullshit. Yeah. That's really what it boils down to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not knocking it because I spent a lot of time in that world, but, you know, there was no spheres and foams and gels and strings of this. And uh, uh, it has a place in time. And, you know, uh, I appreciated my time in that world and it allowed me to open my mind to possibilities of what could be. All that is good and well and hyper valuable. But at the end of the day, I can, I, in my stubbornness, I cannot be convinced that less is not more in every context. We're going to do a little game here. We're going to close it up for the day because you have to go make pentatone. That's why I keep looking at the time. I'm like, okay. I know, I know. So, but that's on you because you, yeah. you, you, and everybody says, I have the gift of gab. You got more than me. Um, <laughs> so we do a quick fire thing here. You ready to go? Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Espresso cappuccino. 
time of the day is, is critical in that answer. That's a very Italian answer. Holy shit. Time, time of the day is critical. Very, very true. Morning, I'm going to go cappuccino. Red wine, white wine. White wine. Dark, light beer. I'm not a beer drinker. Oh, even there you go. How about this one? Okay, pasta noodles. Pasta. I, I tell people all the time, by the way, if I never fell in love with kind of this in the sweet world, I would have been obsessed. In my next life, it's going to be pasta making. I swear. <laughs> funny. Beef or pork? Beef. Hamburger, hot dog? Hamburger. Ketchup, mustard? Ooh, that's tough. Probably roll. Mm. I'm going to go ketchup. Oh, it's tough. It's a tough, tough. one. Okay. It's a tough Burrito taco. Another dude. You got to come up with easier questions. Um, oh, answer. It's just a, what, what, what? I'm going to go with burrito. I love, uh, I'll go burrito. Sashimi, nigiri. Sashimi. Sea urchin, uni. Uni. Lobster crab. Crab. Ravioli dumplings. Ravioli. Interesting. Specifically, the my deathbed bite served by the one and only Michael Tusk at Catonia. That raviolo, any day of the week, you will find me <laughs> of zen. There you go. As that is greatness on a plate. Can't complain with that. Favorite junk food? Ooh, favorite junk food. Um, probably gonna have to be pizza. That's not junk food. No, okay, so categorically. When I say junk food, I mean, that's like a guilty pleasure. Pizza's good. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Okay, that's a guilty pleasure. Is like junk food either a Reese peanut butter cup or a thing of Pringles. <laughs> no, that's junk food, both of them. <laughs> Either one of those is, oh my God. Chocolate or fruit? That's tough. I just threw you under the that's, bus uh, on purpose. Well, I mean, I guess if you, if, if it's in the context of, if I only had to pick one to eat for the rest of my life and couldn't eat the other, I would pick fruit, but not because I enjoy it more, just because one of, I think the ingredients, no pun intended to a healthful-ish life is to consume some fruit. Um, and I love fruit. So um, in my hedonist answer, I'm gonna go chocolate. Okay. Milk or bitter? Chocolate. Bittersweet. Bittersweet. That's always better. In my opinion, it's always better. Roy, thank you. I know uh, there's so much more we can share and there's so many, there's so many roads we can go down and it's, and it's so always fun. It's you know, an honor, really an honor. It's, um, it's always fun. And I look forward to being able to, now that our worlds are somewhat getting back to normal, let's get together and have a cup of coffee somewhere. I love that, man. Um, um, can, I, can I make a, uh, a request from when, for when the season comes around again? Because I did watch that episode of yours, not a podcast, when you cooked the Dungeness Crab pasta at your house oh the the, the fregola i was like i'm i need to tell him i'm a little bit upset that there was no bite here because that that's was. a classic for me i can't not do that because there's like five different levels of crab in it super fun so we can we can make that happen i think we can pull that one off next season 
Yeah, no, it's now it starts. There yeah. will not be Dungeness Craft for Thanksgiving this year, but we will have it after. I did, I did hear that. Through you the- know where to find me. I know where to find you. So if people want to find you online, if they want this to- This is from Roy.com. There we go. You guys heard it here. Make sure you take a look. Uh, you can click on the links at the end and head right over and order your Panettone. Don't forget.